Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Five and six. Code killer strikes again. The Prince, look, Converse, high tops. Agent McCaleb, why does the killer single you out? Why has he focused on you? On the trail of a killer, FBI profiler Terry McCaleb's career ended in a heartbeat. But the past isn't about to let him go. Mr. McCaleb, I was sure you were to retire by now. Looks like your code killer's back. It is a mystery that links the hunter to the hunted. You and me, we're like Cain and Abel, Kennedy and Oswald. As your doctor, I'm ordering you not to do this. You're gambling with your life, Terry. I have no choice. Easy, Mac. What's the matter? I'm okay. A game that must be played to its end. We think he made the 911 call or he killed her. That's crazy. Now it fits the profile. Profile? What profile? Now. I'm on this case. I'm in this thing for the full ride. He's a heartbeat away. McCaleb! What are you doing? Or did you think this was over? From catching the killer. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to talk about the 2002 movie, Blood Work. Now, the studio was Warner Brothers. The release date was August 9th, 2002. The running time was 110 minutes. The rating is R. The budget was $50 million, and this was a box office bust, as it only made $26 million domestic. So yeah, $50 million to $26 million earned, not good and was ranked 94th of all movies released in 2002. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 53% rotten from 152 reviews. Critics' consensus is Bloodwork is routine, but competently made thriller marred by lethargic pacing. However, one of my favorite reviewers, Roger Ebert, gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars, and his review is Clint Eastwood's Bloodwork opens with an FBI agent of retirement age chasing a killer collapsing of a heart attack. Two years later, we meet him living on a boat in a marina with another person's heart in his chest. A woman asks him to investigate the murder of her sister. He says he's finished with police work. Then she shows him her sister's photograph and softly adds a personal reason why he might want to help. Unlike some action stars who want to remain Superman forever, Eastwood has paid attention to his years and found stories to exploit him. Space Cowboys from 2000 was about proud old astronauts called out of retirement. An Absolute Power from 1997, accused of climbing a rope to an upper window, he says he'll have to tell that one at his next AARP meeting. In Bloodwork, he plays Terry McCaleb, a man conscious of his mortality at every moment. All during the movie, only characters tell him how bad he looks. McCaleb shouldn't be doing police work. His doctor, Angelica Houston, threatens to stop seeing him if he doesn't slow down. But from the moment he sees the photograph and meets the dead woman's little boy and looks into the eyes of her sister, he has no choice. The movie is not simply a sentimental revenge picture, however, but a police procedural that leads us to an intriguing investigation. Based on a novel by Michael Connolly, 
The movie is like one of those Ed McBain stories in which the facts add up but make no sense until the key is supplied in a sudden observation. Before his retirement, McCaleb was on the trail of a man called the Code Killer. Now, there seems to be a similar serial killer operating in Los Angeles, one with a particular interest in McCaleb. Catch me, McCaleb, he writes on a mirror, a nice echo of Call Northside 777. The investigation takes McCaleb to the corners of Los Angeles County and it involves a friendly L.A. cop, Tina Lifford, and her hostile partner, Paul Rodriguez. Because he doesn't want to drive so soon after a heart transplant surgery, Eastward hires a neighbor at the marina, Jeff Daniels, as an assistant and gradually grows closer to Graciela's, the dead woman's sister, and to the little boy. The film establishes a mute, subdued tone in early scenes and sticks to it. There is no false bravado. Terry McCaleb is not a well man, and he sometimes touches his chest wonderingly and develops a fever. But the logic of the chase is a relentless goad as Annie pushes on. His health adds an additional dimension to the movie, inspiring a concern in Graciela that eventually, but very slowly, leads to love. The strength of the picture directed by Eastwood is that it has three intersecting story arcs, the investigation, the health issues, and the relationship that builds step by step. Almost every scene involves one of these concerns, and the screenplay by Brian Helligan from LA Confidential moves smoothly between them, so that we develop an unusual degree of personal interest in McCaleb. He isn't just the hero of a thriller, but a man with human qualities we grow concerned about. There is action and violence and blood work, but not the pumped-up, computer-aided pyrotechnics of so many Hollywood summer thrillers. Here, the action involves people, and the things that people can do. A final confrontation aboard two boats is handled in a way that makes the action seem difficult, but like hard physical labor, not martial arts gymnastics. And when the movie was all over, what I cared about most was the love between Terry and Graciela. DeJesus is an actress who has done a lot of television work, but her film work has usually been limited to secondary supporting roles. Here she is crucial to the success of the picture. She avoids all temptations to leap into romance. She plays her scenes not as the hero's sidekick, but as a dead woman's sister. And there is such a tenderness in the way she eventually starts to regard Terry that when finally they acknowledge how they feel, it isn't a plot point, but an, actual, but an actual emotional transition that feels right and warm. Eastwood has directed himself in 20 films, and that may represent the most consistent director-actor relationship in modern movies. He knows himself, he knows his craft, his pride as a director is dominant over his ego as an actor, and the results are films that use a star aura with an uncommon degree of intimacy. Terry McCabe is one of Eastwood's best characters because, in a way... He's not a new character at all, but just the same guy farther down the road. And that's the end of the review. So I do remember seeing this in the theater when it came out because the trailer looked intriguing and I've been a huge fan of Quinn Eastwood films since I was a kid. And Roger Ebert's uh, exactly nailed the sentiment that I had for the film when I first saw it and it continued to be a movie that I would rewatch when I had the chance. And thrillers and especially crime detective thrillers have always been sort of my favorite genre. And this movie deserved to be in my DVD collection. For these types of movies, I'll try to add fun facts and basic plot points. But since this probably isn't a movie that everyone has seen, I will avoid giving any sort of details because I don't want to spoil anything. And this is one I recommend seeing and enjoying on your own. Uh, but hopefully this episode may give you a nudge to check it out. I will say that some of the plot, vo- plot of this movie kind of involves smoke and mirrors, which is great because it keeps you guessing 
Um, it's also the type of movie that is great for repeat viewings because you might want to catch subtle details that you may have missed the first time around. There's a great vulnerability uh, of this film, and both physically and psychologically, uh, for Clint Eastwood to overcome, you know, the more obstacles make it more interesting. You know, how loss redefines a person. And Eastwood bought the rights uh, when this was in book form when it was released in 1998 by Michael Connelly. And Connelly wrote the novel to The Lincoln Lawyer, which was adapted into a terrific film starring Matthew McConaughey. Again, Ebert was really spot on about how Eastwood is savvy enough with his roles to know what works with his age. Honestly, Eastwood had been a role all through the 1990s, starting with The Amazing Unforgiven, then he did In the Line of Fire, A Perfect World, The Bridges of Madison County, and Absolute Power. And some actors don't have that many great films in their entire career, let alone one decade. Eastwood tells a funny story when he was filming The Outlaw Josie Wales, where he was working with Chief Dan George, and George was having difficulty with a few of his scenes, and Quint figured out that he was mouthing the dialogue and it was throwing George off. And so Quint needed to be able to separate between the actor and the director. And directing was always a backup for Clint Eastwood, but he's one of the few to master both of the crafts. All right, let's get into the other cast. So Jeff Daniels plays Buddy. And many casual movie fans know Daniels mainly as the other guy with Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. However, Daniels has, is very versatile, and what landed him the role of Buddy in Bloodwork, and what interested Eastwood about his acting ability was his other films. And Eastwood says he's one of the easiest uh, actors to work with. Other notable films that Daniels was in prior to Bloodwork. Now, he was in Terms of Endearment, where he plays Deborah Winger's husband. He was in Heartburn with Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. Arachnophobia, he was in Speed, and Pleasantville, also to name a few. And so Jeff Daniels claimed that he first, when he uh, first met Quinn Eastwood on a golf course around the time of Dumb and Dumber, oh, he was pleasantly surprised when Eastwood told him that he actually enjoyed Dumb and Dumber, because you wouldn't think that would be the type of Quinn, you know, Quinn Eastwood-style movie, but he liked him. All right, Angelica Houston plays Dr. Bonnie Fox, and Houston simply had acting in her blood, no pun intended, because her father was the famous director John Houston, and her grandfather was e the equally famous Walter Houston. And her breakout role was really in Pritzi's Honor, where she won uh, an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, that was also with Jack Nicholson in that film, and she was in a relationship with Nicholson for many years. Other notable films that she was in include The Grifters, uh, the film adaptations of The Addams Family, where she plays Morticia Adams, and The Royal Tenenbaums, which, of course, if you've listened before, that is one of Lindley's favorites. Wanda de Jesus plays Graciela Rivers, and as Ebert mentioned in his review, de Jesus mostly appeared on TV shows at this point, with Bloodwork being her film break, uh, and then she never really went on to further film roles, uh, though I did enjoy her character. Uh, where she played a detective for a few seasons on CSI Miami. And she's actually been in a relationship with Jimmy Smith since 1986. Tina Lifford, or uh, detect she plays Detective Jane Winston, or Jay Win Winston, and like DeJesus, uh, Lifford had been mostly acting on TV since the early 80s, and Blood Work, again, would be her most significant film role, and she continues to appear on TV shows today. Paul Rodriguez plays Detective Ronaldo Arango, and Rodriguez... He had been a stand-up comedy staple since the 1980s, and he was one of the earliest Hispanic comics to really hit it big. And movie-wise, he was always a big uh, bit player in films like DC Cab with Mr. T, Quicksilver with Kevin Bacon, Born in East L.A. with uh, Cheech Marin, Rat Race, which was great, and the biopic Ali. He definitely gets some laugh because he's really cantankerous as Detective Arango in Bloodwork. 
Now, the screenwriter, again, was uh, Bryant Helgeland, and he, he was mostly writing horror scripts in the late 80s and early 90s, but his early breakout gig was the screenplay for L.A. Confidential in 1997. He then followed it up with uh, Conspiracy Theory and Payback with Mel Gibson, The Postman, Kevin Costner, A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger before Bloodwork finally came out. He then would go on to write the screenplays for Mystic River, which is excellent, and the Jackie Robinson biopic, 42. All right, so the movie kind of starts off with a uh, police crime scene, and the code killer has killed again for the fifth and sixth time, and, and Clint Eastwood is playing a high-profile uh, FBI profiler who the killer likes to be linked to. Uh, he, it's kind of like that vintage cat-and-mouse game. Paul Rodriguez is, again, the wisecracking detective who does not seem impressed by Eastwood, and he's probably actually just jealous of him. Now, Ebert said that Rodriguez's partner was uh, Lifford, but it's actually Dylan Walsh. And, you know, he's just kind of like a boring straight man, but it's perfect because you got Rodriguez, who's very lively and wisecracking. And But Rodriguez has a chip on his shoulder, and he's basically a jerk uh, because he's not as good as Quint, and he knows it. And, and I think deep down, he just wants to be acknowledged by Quint Eastwood's character. So Eastwood goes on a somewhat lengthy, like, on-foot chase after he believes he sees the suspect at the crime scene. And after almost catching the suspect, Eastwood collapses from a heart attack. And though, even though Quinn Eastwood, I think, was around 71 years old at the time, he was always in great shape, and he's a runner in real life. So even though this might seem ridiculous, it really isn't, because he's in good shape. So he has his heart attack. We fast forward to two years later, and Eastwood has had to be forced into retirement due to his heart transplant, and he's in the middle of a checkup with his cardiologist, played by Angelica Houston. And the sight of seeing how they go through the heart checkup by putting a thin camera through your neck to see the inside of your chest is pretty freaky, to say the least. And you're awake the whole time, so no thank you. Uh, but I guess it's better than the alternative. Uh, Houston's char character is great. She's no-nonsense, uh, but she's a well-meaning doctor, and she's not impressed that he is looking to work on a case again. And he's 60 days post-transplant. So Angelica Houston's dad uh, actually had John had heart surgery and she was in the ICU with him a lot. And so that led her to have a certain connection to this film and obviously the character. Uh, plus, John Houston actually appeared in uh, Quinn Eastwood's film White Hunter Black Heart. So Eastwood's character is retired and, and living on a boat and his neighbor, quote unquote neighbor, is Jeff Daniels, who seems to uh, always be around and he's kind of a pest in a way, but he seems harmless. He's sort of a beach bum or a boat bum, per se. And he kind of gets to be a funny sidekick, but he's less silly uh, than his character in Dumb and Dumber. Is it apocryphal, the story about Clint Eastwood? Is that true? Yes. After you made the first one? Yes. Clint Eastwood, I'd never met him. He came, I was at a golf tournament for celebrities, and all of a sudden Clint Eastwood's coming across the tent, the breakfast tent looking at me, it's dirty hairy, and I'm, I'm, and he goes, Jeff, I'm Clint, Mr. Ewood, Eastwood, what a pleasure to. He calls him Ewood. I, yeah. He said, so close. He said, he said uh, I saw Dumb and Dumber. I, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. Listen, <laughs> there are other things out there, you know? And he goes, no, 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 the bathroom scene, that happened to me. <laughs> Long story about a girlfriend, and it, but he was reliving it. Yeah, that's how he came up with the poncho. <laughs> and so eventually, Eastwood is visited by a woman named Graciela, and that—that that again is Wanda De Jesus. 
And so we know that her sister was killed and uh, she was an organ donor, the, her sister that was killed. And as, as it turns out, we find out that her heart was transplanted into Quint Eastwood. And DeJesus wants Eastwood to help her find the sister's killer, obviously, because he's an FBI profiler. Plus, he has a he's connected to her, whether he knows it or not. So what's really funny is he doesn't have a regular phone, so he has to call everyone back on a pay phone. Remember those? Yeah. So this is 2002, folks. Uh, he doesn't believe in cell phones, even though they do exist. But uh, he agrees with Graciela to do some investigative, light investigative work. And so he kind of butters up the dopey detectives, Rodriguez and, and Dylan Walsh, with some Krispy Kremes. And there's a great scene where Rodriguez tries to record his conversation with Eastwood in the interrogation room. Um, but he's kind of bumbling around, and, and Eastwood knows exactly what he's doing. Well, Mr. McCaleb. Detective Arango? I was sure you were dead or retired by now. Guy up front says you want to talk to me about Gloria Torres. Yeah, is there a place we can talk privately? About what? I'm uh, looking into her death. Ah, here we go again with the same old shit. All right, I'll give you five minutes, cinco, and that's it, before I toss your ass right out of here. Go ahead, have a seat. My partner will be here in a minute. You want a donut? I don't want a goddamn donut. I want to know who you're working for, and I bet it's her sister, isn't it? That's right. I knew it, son of a bitch. All right, let me see your ticket. I don't have a license, if that's what you're talking about. Is it stuffy in here? Is it hot in here for you? No. Just get a little air. Let me give us just a little air here. It might be a little more comfortable. Okay, let me get this straight. You're conducting a homicide investigation into the Gloria Torres case, right? That's true. And you don't have a license to practice as a private investigator in the state of California. That's right. Mr. McCaleb, do you know that it's a crime in this state to practice being a private investigator? Well, you knock off the crap. I just wanted to have a talk, that's all. And you can knock off the tape, too. And Waller's leaning against the microphone, so you're not going to pick up anything. What do you tell me? I don't know. In the three and a half years we've been interrogating people here, maybe I forgot. Come on, fellas. I'm just here to help. Have a donut, huh? Look, I don't care what her sister told you, Mr. Former FBI profiler. But this ain't the type of case you like anyways. This ain't one of them glamorous cases that are going to get you some headlines. This isn't Charles Manson or Ted fucking Bundy. This is a run-of-the-mill, ordinary convenience store robbery. Some idiot with a gun and a mask with the right ratio of balls to brains pull the trigger. That's all this is. I know, but I told her I'd check it out. Now, you've been on this a couple months. A fresh pair of eyes won't hurt at all. I'm not going to grandstand anybody. Any information I get, I'll give it to you people first. I'm not trying to one-up anyone. What do you want? I want a copy of the murder book and a video walkthrough of the crime scene. I was always pretty good with crime scenes. No can do. Why not? No way, man. How often does a sister call you? Every day, weekends, holidays. And believe it or not, we got feelings here. And it hurts me to have to tell her there's no new leads, there's no new suspect, there's nothing. All right, I can get her off your case. I tell her that I looked into it, you boys are doing a good job, then she stops calling. Well, you were always pretty good at a crime scene, but the key word here is were. Are you still? You just give me a copy of the tape, that's all. Oh. Oh, we got more than just a crime scene tape. We've got the crime. 
Bring the donuts. Come on. So we find out that video surveillance uh, shows Gloria, who is Graciela's sister, was killed during an armed robbery at a convenience store. And the robber shoots her in the head, then kills the clerk, takes the cash, and runs out. But it's very strange because he picks up all the shells. And then all of a sudden, uh, a guy comes in soon afterwards and discovers the scene and calls 911. But he doesn't stick around to call the police. We think he's, you know, just a, a good Samaritan. But... Uh, because Gloria was shot in the head, it means that her heart wasn't damaged and could be used as a donor. So you can be brain dead but not die right away because of the way she was shot. So the organs are still intact. So we find out that, that Terry, that's Quinn Eastwood, uh, always massages his chest when he gets a feeling. So it's like this kind of like uh, telltale sign. So maybe Graciela is kind of talking to him in a weird way. So again, Tina Lifford plays the local sheriff detective that was friendly with Eastwood while he was with the FBI. And she shows the tape of another murder where a man was shot and killed in an ATM machine. And there seems to be a link between the murders. <laughs> well, 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 Terry McKayla. Hi. As I live and breathe. Look at you. Look at you. I hear you got a new ticker. That's right. I'm all right, though. How you doing, babe? <laughs> Me? You know, same old, same old. Mm. So what's up? You on a private ticket now? No, no. Just doing a favor for a friend. Well, what case is it? James Cordell. ATM holdup. Let's see. January 22nd. Newspaper says he was shot by a guy wearing a ski mask. Who's this friend you're doing the favor for? Graciela Rivers. Her sister was shot in a convenience store two weeks after that. Also a man in a ski mask. Am I right? Are they connected? Yeah, same guy. Out of your orbit, though. I mean, scumbag with a gun. Three strike shit, that's all. What do you mean? You know, guy has two felonies. Third puts him away for life. So instead of leaving witnesses, he kills him. Robbery, murder, it's all the same sentence for him either way. Well, I talked to the boys over at LAPD and they showed me a tape, but they wouldn't copy me the murder book. Hmm. I bet they copied you though, huh? Hmm. Come on, darling. You owe me just one little one. Oh, I know that. You handed me the cemetery man bus. Hell, you were my membership into this goddamn boys club. I have not forgotten. Does that mean yes? <laughs> Terry McCaleb. So Eastwood doesn't drive anymore, so he hires Jeff Daniels as a driver for 10 bucks an hour plus meals, and Eastwood has to keep a daily chart of his health and body temperature to make sure he's not um, you know, getting sick, because if he starts to get a fever, that could be bad. Basically, Eastwood feels guilty as he has the heart of someone that was murdered instead of an accident, and so he kind of feels a sense of duty to help Gloria's sister, and, and Gloria's kind of feeding off that that ploy to get him involved. This is before she truly had feelings for him, as Ebert mentioned. There's some great lines that is typical of a Queen Eastwood movie. Uh, they're kind of on a semi-stakeout you know, semi where uh, a three-strike robbery suspect 
you know, verse, you know, a gun that was used, and and he was saying, Quinn Eastwood says, one guy stood out like a whore in church, and and his alibi is as solid as a loaf of bread. Just quick lines that, uh, when Quint says it, it just worked great. And there's a great scene where Quint does go full on dirty Harry with a shotgun, and uh, the end scene is great as well. Uh, there's a cameo of an actor who, if you watch the show 24, you'll know him as Aaron. That was gr- that Glenn uh, Moshar, and you would know him as the Secret Service agent in 24. There are definitely twists and turns uh, when the story starts to you know, the play itself out. And some might, might find the twist kind of obvious, but I think that's only in hindsight. Because after you've seen the movie, then oh, you're like, okay, that makes sense now. But while you're watching it, it might not seem as obvious. And that's why I'm telling you, you just kind of got to see the movie. And there's a hilarious ending when Paul Rodriguez says, uh, you know, you're, you're, you may have a Mexican's heart, but you're, you're no Mexican. And, and then Quinn Eastwood says, well, this Mexican's going to kick your, your, <laughs> your ass. And so typical Quinn Eastwood and Paul Rodriguez going back and forth. So it's interesting because Quint appears in every scene of this movie because it needs to follow his sequence. And according to Jeff Daniels, Eastwood is a master at keeping the roles of director and actor separate. So even though he might be judging a scene in his head as a director, he never lets the other actors realize it. He can keep in the moment as an actor, and that's a true talent, and probably experience helps that as well. So one quick fun fact, thanks to Eastwood's no-frills, fast-paced shooting style and editing skills, the film was in theaters just a mere four months after completing the photography. So this is, I try to give you as many details about the movie as possible without giving anything away. So I I think this movie, you know, obviously you might not think of it as the number one Quinn Eastwood film, but if you like throwers and you like murder mysteries and things like that, I think it's really well done. My dad was less enthused because he owns, when I was telling him I was doing this episode, he's like, ah, it was okay. But, uh, you know, watch it for yourself. You like it, you like it. I enjoy it. I enjoyed it enough to put it in my collection. So I hope you enjoy it too. And that's what this podcast is about. Not every movie is going to be, you know, the best ever. Uh, but again, movies that I find entertaining that I can watch with repeat viewing. And I'm a huge Quinn Eastwood fan, so that helps. So if you're not into Quinn Eastwood, yeah, you're not going to like it. But if you do like Quinn Eastwood, you're going to go along with the ride with him. And even even Roger Ebert liked it. So there you go. All right, until next week, this is Brian signing off. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the bad beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff, and yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E, 
P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the absolute alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science!